everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, happy Monday, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I want to remind you to go to 1280thezone.com, catch the Tour of Utah podcast. Steve Brown will uh, get you ready for the summer of cycling as well as the best places to catch the upcoming Tour of Utah race. People uh, around the building getting pretty excited about that whole thing, by the way, Tour of Utah. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's you know, these are some of the best cyclists in the world who come to this thing. Pretty unique um, uh, stage race where you can, I mean, Utah is, you think of how different southern Utah is to, to northern Utah, and I mean, you, you can really cover a lot of ground, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, uh, France all looks the same, right? <laughs> no, they have those steep climbs in the mountains, too. But I, I covered uh, the uh, tour of Utah uh, a couple of times when I was up there at the top of, like, Snowbird and whatever and watching those guys race up that mountain. I mean, who can do that? Those guys? I mean, I might be able to do it on my e-bike. <laughs> Stress might be able to. And I'd probably go a lot slower than they do. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So that's uh, that's coming up right around the corner. Uh, catch the tour of Utah. It was uh, funny because uh, one time I uh, I was inter- they have they have the amateurs who who do some of the race before the pros come through, and uh, I asked one of them, I was, "How you doing?" And he goes, "That was the that was the stupidest thing I've ever tried to do." <laughs> <laughs> and he's a serious cyclist. He's not a pro. That's going up. That's uh, tough. Going up the mountain. Woo! All right, we're going to talk to Stuart Mandel of the Athletic coming up here momentarily. Um, we talked about this last week. I know DJ and PK and Scotty and Hans uh, talked about it. Uh, the nine o'clock possible nine o'clock start times, which would be uh, ten o'clock Mountain Time, obviously. Uh, but did you see Mike Leach give some pushback to that on Twitter, uh, expressing that he was not wild about the idea? We wondered how coaches and players would feel. Well, there's one player that, uh, or excuse me, one coach. I wasn't too wild about it. Well, I wrote a column about it. I'm not wild about it either. Although I, I it's it might be just as good or preferable to a nine o'clock kick at night, but I don't think either one is. But I'm living in my hundred acre wood. Well, it's just unfortunately going to be one of those where you're going to get both, right? Both of the bad. <laughs> you're going to get and not much of the, the good. Both of the bad, not much of the good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think people are all over the map on this. Some people are really against it. Others don't seem to care one way or the other, and I, I got some correspondence from people saying, "What's so, what's so sacrosanct about one o'clock in the afternoon?" I don't think it's about sacrosanct. I think it's more about convenience. I like it. Well, I mean, I don't like. I, I don't want to get home at two in the morning, and I don't. I think most fans don't want that either. I don't think they do either. And now, how you, many of them want to get up at six o'clock in the morning to fight through traffic and get to the stadium as well? I, I, that's just why for TV, right? And so, a bunch of people can make a bunch of money, other than the fans. Well, it's. I think exposure is driving a lot of this, as you pointed out last week, that you're talked about all day. But but here's. Here's why I think fans would be a little grumpy about it. Not that they love the late-night starts either, but college football, and we've talked about this a lot, has turned into a, a whole-day 
event, right? I mean, that's that's part of its charm. I mean, it starts with the the tailgating, and it's turned into this, you know, big time. Not just the game, not just between the uh, the the horn sounding, you know. And this kind of gets in the way of that a little bit. Sure does. All right, uh, let's get out to the Sprint special guest line. Joining us now from the Athletic College football writer, he is Stuart Mandel, with us on ninety seven five and twelve eighty the zone. Stuart, good afternoon. Thank you so much for a few minutes. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? We're doing well. And Stuart, I know that you, you uh, your specialty is college football and whatnot, but I'm curious to know, have you ever been so mad? Have you ever been mad enough to throw a baseball over the center field wall? Hmm. I've been pretty mad in some rec league softball games, to say the <laughs> least, but I, I can't remember doing that exactly. That Trevor Bauer thing is amazing. Yeah. Isn't it? He threw it a long way. Um, Stuart, want to start this off by congratulating you and the Athletics. Uh, of course, the stories uh, all over the internet today. Half a million subscribers. Uh, I know you were in on the ground level on this thing, the All-American section, and uh, basically the, the whole college football arm. So, hearty congratulations to you and your coworkers there at the Athletic. It seems like uh, this thing is is already quite successful thank you very much yeah i I joined about two years ago and we were at the company was around twenty thousand subscribers at that point so it's been pretty cool to watch it grow uh as as rapidly as it has and and we're really grateful to everybody who has signed up uh over the last two years Stuart, I really enjoyed your story that you wrote about the future of college football and realignment and all the various possibilities and whatnot. That's a, man, you really did a lot of research on that. I compliment you on that as well. Thank you. We did a whole series last week on um, called Realignment Revisited, just because I knew uh, from my interactions with fans that it's the one topic, even when there's nothing going on, people still ask about it. You know, I get mailbag questions every week about what's going to be the next big realignment wave. So uh, we did about 20 stories last week looking back at the events of 2010, 11-ish. And then, of course, my article was looking ahead, and obviously nobody can predict the future, but at least laying out some possibilities for what uh, that next big uh, shuffling might look like in a few years. So if slash when that happens, the next uh, realignment shuffling, what um, what is going to be the driver behind that this time? You know, we, we were so familiar with the, the television money and that sort of thing the last big time. How is that going to change this time? Well, I, you know, television money will always be what these schools are thirsting after. But what's changed, obviously, is, you know, in 2010, 2011, um, the philosophy was still very much about how many cable households can you deliver? Because everybody was either had just started or was about to launch a conference cable network. And uh, cord cutting has progressed rapidly since then. Uh, ESPN's lost about 15% of their subscribers, but streaming services are taking off. And so I know that the commissioners who have TV contracts coming up in four or five years um, are, are drooling at the possibility that you know, it won't just be ESPN and Fox bidding on your deal. It might be Amazon, it might be Hulu, it might be Netflix. So uh, I think the the driving factor there will be what's the most compelling lineup of games on a weekly basis you can tell these companies that you're going to be able to provide, whether that's better non-conference games, better conference games. Um, and in that case, as, as people said in the article, it's not so much about geography or market size, it's just which brand names will, will make our product the most compelling. 
I thought that was interesting when you mentioned Disney, that Disney usually doesn't get involved in things unless they think uh, they're going to be serious about it. And you're right, that's just going to drive the money up. And colleges, if they play this smart, are just going to make more and more money. Yeah, and you look at right now, the Big Ten, which did their deal with Fox and ESPN two years ago, and they're now distributing to their schools over $50 million each, which uh, not that long ago would have been a lot for the whole conference uh, to make in a year. And yet, you know, I talk to people whose job is to, to study TV rights for a living. They help consult the conferences on these things. And they say relative to the, to the NFL and certainly the NBA, which college football is actually more popular than the NBA, uh, their TV value, deals are still undervalued. And part of that is that they they do sell them conference by conference. They kind of sell them piecemeal, whereas you know the NFL has one TV deal. And if you don't get it, you if you don't win it uh, in whatever year that's coming up, you're not going to have another chance for however many years. So one of the scenarios I threw out, I don't know how realistic it is, is for the whole Power Five to, to come together and sell all their games collectively. Um, but, but whatever the case may be, I do think that all parties agree that there's more, there is more money to be made. In fact, that they've been leaving money on the table. From a Pac-12 perspective, what are some likely motivations for them? And if, uh, I mean, are they going to be looking to expand or stay put? Or where? And Larry Scott has been aggressive in the past. How does he play into all this? Well, I think the first question that we don't know the answer to is: Will Larry Scott still be the commissioner in 2023 <laughs> when they'll be uh, doing these deals? You know, he's obviously uh, has, uh, you would say, his share of critics, but it's really the whole conference uh, fans are critics of his. So will he be the one leading that or will it be somebody else? Um, and then what will the president, uh, you know, the presidents of the Pac-12 have for the most part been fairly conservative, though. When he first got there, he convinced them to make that really ambitious run at Texas and Oklahoma that was signed off on by the president. So. Um, they are in a, still in a position, they're in much the same position now that they were then, where they've fallen a, far, very far behind the other leagues. And I think that if it is him, uh, that he will want to do something aggressive again to try to, uh, to, try to add value to that conference. Because right now, the 12 schools that they have, there's a couple big brands, obviously, USC being the most notable. But this is not like the Big Ten or the SEC, where TV networks... I want to show half the teams or more on a given week. They're really only interested in those top two or three programs, and most of the Pac-12 just doesn't draw eyeballs nationally, even when they are fairly, uh, even when they are, you know, relevant nationally. A real twist, Stuart, in your story that uh, I think most people don't really consider was not banding together, rather splitting apart. And you talked about various marquee football programs, schools that might have a lot of value without having to drag the Washington states or the Oregon states or the lesser teams in their conference along with them. Most people think of independence as being uh, a negative. Uh, You're saying that potentially under certain scenarios, it could be a big uh, boon for various teams at various schools. You know, one theory is that because of the changes in technology and the fact that you aren't necessarily going to have to sell your rights through a middleman uh, going forward, that a Texas or an Oklahoma or maybe even a USC could could try to go the independent route. Obviously, Texas already has its own network. Um, You know, would they be able to pull that off? Would they be able to put together a compelling enough schedule? That's a good question. Uh, And then... You know, people are always talking about, well, the Power Five is going to break away from the NCAA. They're going to do their own thing. Well, if something like that happens, I don't think it would be the whole Power Five. I think, the, like you said, 
Um, if I'm USC, if I'm Ohio State, if I'm Michigan, and I'm looking to just purely maximize my profits, I'd be better off playing a schedule of just those teams and not, you know, Purdue or Illinois or Oregon State or any, any number of those schools that aren't really moving the needle. Uh, so that was one scenario I threw out there as well. The college football premier league top 25 or 30 ish programs break off and do their own thing just in football. You know, I think in the other sports, they still very much need their conferences and, and the rest of division one. Stuart Mandel from the athletic with us here on 97.5 and 1280, the zone. What should BYU fans be rooting for to happen to best position them going forward? We ask you this every time you come on Stuart. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a, I, and I have the same answer I've always had for the most part, but you know, obviously, if the Big 12 or the Pac-12 decide to expand in this next go-around, I think BYU will always be one of the first schools mentioned. I mean, at the end of the day, they are a Power 5 program in terms of, of uh, fan support, stadium size, TV ratings, uh, in, in every respect. They just don't have the affiliation yet. And then, you know, I think that a scenario like the one I just described where there's consolidation would actually uh, be in BYU's benefit. And I say that because it's no secret that, um, you know, like I said earlier, the presidents make these decisions and there's factors well beyond TV ratings. There's, you know, it's, it's academics. It's, uh, what do you have in common? BYU is so unique. They're a religious institution that, you know, I think it has caused, uh, you know, it has always been a, a holdup in terms of the PAC, what used to be the PAC 10 and now the PAC 12 wanting to get in business with them. So if college football ever went just purely commercial, and form some sort of coalition where it wasn't no longer about, we're not pretending this is about academics, et cetera. Um, you know, then you'd be talking about just which are the best brands that I want to have in a television package. And I would argue BYU is, is pretty high on that list, higher than probably, you know, 30, 40, maybe even 50% of the current Power 5 schools. Wow. Going back to your scenario of just taking the super programs and putting them together, um, when I when I read that, Stuart, I thought, okay, I wonder how that would affect interest in college football because obviously people are around the country are interested in those top programs, and for all intents and purposes, those programs are the ones that dominate anyway. So maybe it's already that way because those are the best programs. But then I thought, well, what about the teams that are like the 30th best team and the 35th and the 40th? Would that diminish interest in college football if those fans felt like they were left out of that kind of equation? Yeah, it's an obvious um, it's, an, it's an obvious problem. I know a lot of fans wrote in saying that if I'm gonna if we're gonna do a Premier League, there has to be relegation and promotion, like in soccer. I think that would be I don't know how practical that is, but that would be fun. But you know we, we're seeing this already. I think you know with the since we've we've uh, since the playoffs began four years ago, you know clearly that has taken over the sport. The, everything you, the entire conversation on ESPN by the time you get to maybe early October, who are those four teams going to be? And as we know, it's a pretty finite number of schools that realistically are competing for one of those four spots. And then that's taken a lot of the the shine off the other bowl games. And if you're one of those. You know, schools I was mentioning earlier, I'm not trying to pick on Purdue, but they're a good example. You know, they have a decent fan base, but they're probably never going to be a national championship contender. A good season for them is to go to the Outback Bowl. And suddenly that's become less important. So I think the sport has that, that problem already. Are they going to start alienating, you know, fans of the schools that are not the Blue Bloods? But 
the, the real factor that we haven't mentioned that could really affect all of this is, are the athletes going to be paid and sometimes in the near future? And, you know, that that's something the NCAA is actively exploring right now is the not paying them salaries, but allowing them to, to make name, image, and likeness money. And if that day comes, that's only going to further widen that gap because there's only so many schools that can actually afford to do that. Uh, a lot of them would have to make a decision at the point whether they're even going to try to continue to compete with Texas and Ohio State and those, those schools that can easily afford to do it. Stuart Mandel with us from The Athletic, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, you mentioned in your piece about Larry Scott. He's been progressive, and sometimes that's worked out for him, and sometimes it hasn't. Well, his latest idea is possibly to start games at 9 a.m. Pacific time. What do you think about that? Um, I have mixed feelings about it. I can see why. When I first saw it, I thought that's crazy. There's no way they would ever consider that. Uh, then, then it became apparent that they are serious about it, um, and that some of the coaches support it. Now, I think we can all agree that would be the worst thing that could happen to the fans who are actually attending the games. Um, you know, tailgate, tailgating suddenly becomes like a half hour before you can get a half hour in before you got to get to the stadium. Um, but I think one of the, you know, biggest frustrations with the conference with the fans right now is the lack of exposure. You know, the Pac-12 network is not in enough households. And 10.30 games kick off at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, and fans, you know, on that half the country are asleep. So I don't know if there's any question it would help with exposure if those games are on at the time of day when the whole country can watch them and when they're not going head-to-head with the SEC game on CBS and the big ABC primetime game, whatever that may be, in a given week. So the question becomes, what are you – who are you looking to serve more, TV viewers in Oklahoma or your own fans who go to the games? Uh, I think you got to be very, you need to be very, very careful about that. You don't want to alienate your own fans at the at the, you know, for for the purpose of getting higher TV ratings. That's a great point, Stuart. And with the way attendance has been declining, what is it down ten percent over the last uh, while or so? I mean, that's got to be some concern to the schools. Yeah, I mean it's it's. I think this past year was the biggest, um, or I'm sorry, the lowest average attendance in about a decade. It's been trending that way for a while. Now, John Wilner, my friend at the Mercury News, does a great job covering this and is very much pro 9 a.m. kickoff, wrote today, pointed out that the attendance is already bad at a lot of these schools. It's not how much can it possibly hurt them? UCLA's are only filling, you know, half it's, half the Rose Bowl on a given Saturday. So, you know, there's arguments being made on both. I definitely think it would be more problematic for Utah, uh, Oregon, Washington, the schools where they are packing the stadium. And, you know, at Washington and Oregon in particular, uh, tail- tailgating is such a huge part of the atmosphere, the, the game day experience there. But if you're Cal and you're only filling half the stadium already, uh, if you're UCLA, if you're one of these schools that has attendance problems already, maybe you think it's a worthy trade-off. I'm not sure. You know, of course, if you believe Pat Fitzgerald, you can blame it on technology and the millennials who uh, live their lives through their phones and their computers. <laughs> you know, I, I, when he said that, I thought, you know, some of that's true, but there's also a whole bunch of other things that need to be taken into consideration as well. It, it was an epic rant. It was, it was all true in terms of just the fact. I mean, I'm guilty of it myself, spending way too much time looking at your phone. <laughs> But no, the attendance problems in college football are bigger than that. And there's a reason, you know, today Alabama and Wisconsin announced they're going to be doing a home-and-home. Who would have thought five years ago Alabama would agree to travel to Madison, Wisconsin for a football game? But, you know, everybody, Alabama included, 
is starting to recognize that if you want to fill your stadium, you can't just play random FCF teams. You can't just put anybody on the schedule and expect people will turn up. You have to actually give them uh, a compelling game that they want to watch because if you don't, they're going to stay home, turn on their 80-inch television, and flip the channel to any of the 15, 20 other college football games that are on at that time. Stuart Mandel from The Athletic with us on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Stuart, folks around here pretty excited about the Utes' chances in the Pac-12 this year. They were picked first by the media at Pac-12 Media Day. What do you think uh, about their opportunity to live up to that hype? Uh, it's exciting for them. I mean, I, I, I knew they would be uh, – I mean, I knew I considered them to be a, a team that had a great shot to win the conference. I just didn't necessarily realize they would actually be the team picked to do that at Pac-12 Media Days. You know, back in the spring when I was doing my top 25 coming out of spring, uh, I ended up having them the highest of the Pac-12. Had the fewest question marks. And that defense will be loaded. There's no question. Uh, you get back Zach Moss. You get back a really good quarterback. Um, there's a lot to like about Utah. I think the only, you know, the biggest question now is this is a program that has always thrived being the underdog um, and, and being written off. And how will they actually handle going into a season where they're actually being at least slightly more respected than Oregon and Washington, two programs that have obviously uh, gotten this done at a high level much more recently. Utah is a good example, Stuart, of a, a program that has been built through the years. I mean, Ron McBride started it, and then Urban Meyer did what he did, and Kyle Whittingham through the conference change and all that sort of thing. It's a program, I think, that's on the rise. In your experience covering college football, have you ever been able to figure out how programs do that? Um, they're very unique, you know, and in that realignment package we did last week, we wrote an article declaring TCU the winner, the winner of conference realignment, but it's really not, their story's not that different than Utah's. They both have gradually over the course of two decades and a lot of success with frankly, the same coach for most of that period, um, have, have eventually been able to crash the party and, and not many do, uh, for the most part, the power five schools are the same ones that were 20 years ago. So, you know, obviously it starts with a really good coach. Um, and then the question is, how do you continue on it after they leave? And I think that's what's pretty amazing about Utah. And I would say the same thing um, to some degree about Boise State, though they obviously haven't moved up, is that you would think when, after what Urban Meyer did there, that he left, things would, would fall back to earth. But Kyle Winningham just picked it up and ran with it. And, you know, when Chris Peterson left Boise State, people were concerned they would, that would be the end of the Boise State run. But, you know, Brian Harson's done a really nice job there. Uh, that's the challenge. Anytime you see, uh, for instance, uh, you know, UCF, are they going to be able to keep this up? Or was this just a Scott Frost thing? You know, anytime a program has a transcendent coach like that, that's the challenge. And that's where Kyle Whittingham deserves all the credit in the world, you know, both in terms of, uh, I mean, first getting them to that undefeated season in 08, shortly after Meyer left, and then obviously – you know, it's been interesting to watch them get into the conference, have to build up the, the roster and the depth, and, you know, after gradually building it, actually getting to the conference title game last year. And when you ask Kyle about it, of course, he doesn't toot his own horn and say, well, we built a program because I'm a great coach. He always says, recruiting, man. That's what he says. It's recruiting. If you recruit well and you have a decent organization, you're going to win. I mean, he should get a lot of credit because. I mean, look at the constant, um, the churn he has had over the last several years over offensive coordinators. It's not like, it's not one of these staffs where everybody's been in place the whole time. There's been a constant turnover on his staff, and and they change conferences. 
and the success has, has continued. So obviously that starts with what he has instilled there. I think one of the more amazing things is that, you know, you think about programs in the country that always have good defenses, that never have a slip-up on defense. It's basically, you know, Alabama, uh, a couple other times, then a couple other, and Utah. You know, they never have a year where, oh, they're not that good this year on defense. Now, they've obviously had problems on the other side of the ball. But the, the pipeline or the assembly line he's built on defense is pretty special. Real quick before we let you go, uh, Stuart, uh, we got the news from The Athletic a couple months ago that Chris Camerani was going to jump on board to cover the University of Utah. Any chance The Athletic will expand in the future, maybe to cover the Cougars or the Aggies? I'd love, I'd love to do that, especially BYU, because we know they have such a large and – rabid fan base uh we've gone from my first year there was only one college beat writer in the whole company Ari Wasserman who covered Ohio State for the Cleveland site then by the next year we had I believe 18 and we're going to go into this year with 30 so we're we're, we're expanding <laughs> we're trying to expand as quickly as we can it takes a long time so if we didn't get to them this year Hopefully we get to them next year. So, Stuart, have they given you kind of the liberty to build this thing out uh, and use some of your thoughts as far as getting this thing where it's where it's going? Oh, yeah. I have to give many, many thanks and credit to our founders, uh, Adam Hansen and, and Alex Mather. I mean, this was this whole thing was their vision, but they fully understand that, that people like myself or Seth Davis, the college basketball, you know, we're the ones that have been in the business for so long and and they trust our instincts a lot. So, I, I, look, I've made plenty of bad decisions during that time as well. But uh, I take credit for, for one thing the most of all, and that was bringing Focalini onto the site. Um, that, that has paid <laughs> off big time. I, I, his columns continue to uh, amuse me to no end. But, uh, no, they, they've been great. If anything, it's hard to keep up with them because so, they are so ambitious. Uh, I didn't think we'd be anywhere near 30-something beat writers at this point in time. But... But here we are. Uh, it makes the off seasons very interesting. That's, that's for sure. Well, congratulations on all of your success. Uh, really enjoyed uh, your piece. Uh, would encourage all of our listeners to go read it. Five scenarios for the future of college conference realignment. Stuart, thank you very much. All right, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Stuart Mandel joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Does a great job at The Athletic. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I thought that he uh, – he underscored what's going on with the Utes pretty uh, pretty well there and with a great compliment to, uh, to the leadership. And, of course, he joined us on the Sprint special guest line. Uh, customers can get the fantastic iPhone X for 50% off with Flex Lease. Visit the local Sprint store near you. We'll talk about a few things Stuart had to say coming up right around the corner as we continue to talk uh, college football as camps open this week. Gordon, pretty crazy. Football almost here. Reporting tomorrow? In some cases. Indeed. Hmm. So it's it's coming. We'll have more straight ahead, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. The head coach of the University of Utah, Kyle Whittingham. Coach, going back to the number one selection, I've had some different coaching in that area where a coach, when we were projected big time, came in and kind of attacked our willingness to feel good about those things and you know maybe get over our skis a little bit with that. <laughs> Do you feel like you have to manage some of that with these players? We did from preemptive conversation with our guys uh, several months ago and you know when there was rumblings that, hey, you might be the favorite in the Pac-12 and all this type of stuff. The assistant coaches did the same thing in their position meetings and, and they really driving the point home that, hey, whatever happens with the preseason stuff, it doesn't matter. It, it has no bearing on what's going to happen. you got to go out and play the games every week. And so we think we've headed that off at the pass, but uh, we'll see. Catch-
Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to 3. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. All the money, two for the show, three to get ready. Now go, cat, go, but don't you step on my blue suede shoes. You can do anything but lay off of my blue suede shoes. Well, you can knock me down. Big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thanks for making us a part of your day. This sucks, Jake. That's a Who great, likes this type of music? Great song, Gordon, that Gordon absolutely hates. Gordon loves Huey Lewis, but somehow doesn't like Carl Perkins. I don't hate it. I just don't. I'd rather. This pitchfork hayseed stuff. No, I mean, it's it's got. You know, I, you know where I like this kind of music? when Live. Okay. Yeah. I went to a honky-tonk uh, nightclub. Actually, it was a nightclub in Houston when the jazz were uh, playing down there. And there, were, there was this nightclub that had like seven different music halls mm-hmm. in it. And you could pick whichever one. And we, we just sort of, those of us who are some of us in the media, we were going, in the Utah media, we were going from room to room. And one of them was a honky-tonk room. And I'm telling you, that guy could play the guitar, uh, not the guitar, the piano like nobody I've ever heard. And it was so freaking cool. And then we'd go to the rock, and we'd go to the blues, and we'd go to pop, and we'd go to whatever. It was fun. I had a good time. That's good. Did you wear your blue suede shoes? No, I had sandals on, and they, wouldn't, socks. Let, they wouldn't let me in. Because I was wearing sandals. With socks? No. Uh, but then... Because <laughs> you were kind of famous for that back in the day. There was, uh, there was a, uh, a certain person who happened to work for CBS who was on there with us. And she saw me being disallowed to go in. And she went over and said, let them in. And they let me in. Yeah. They were saying they no socks with sandals in this establishment, huh? I, I guess you had to wear cowboy boots or something. I don't know. Why were you famous for that back in the day? Oh, it was it's like everything else that we do on this show gets totally blown out of proportion. Did it, though? Because I, I, I still I wore, get asked about I, that one. I wore shower shoes once on, with Bowler, you know, and people were making a big deal about it. With socks. Yeah. Because that's it's not the shower shoes you're getting teased for. It's the socks yeah, with was, the shower shoes. It was shoes. cool to do that back then. It was? It was 20 years ago. I mean. Because I, I feel like if it was cool to do back then, you wouldn't still be known for it today. Nah, I don't know. Because you know I get asked that question all the time. Do you really? Oh, you do the show with Gordon? Yeah, does he still wear those socks with his sandals? Oh, get all out of the here. Time. Somebody asked that once. Oh, no. Oh, Austin, on. Austin, tell me you don't get that question asked you of you. Honestly, I'd love to jump on board with you. I've never, no one's ever really? asked me that. Yeah. I would say 25% of the time somebody talks to me about you, they bring up that. Oh, get out of here. I'm serious. You were 14 years old when I did that. Uh, that's probably not true. I was a little older than that, I would guess, if it was 20 years ago. No, it's probably... 96, 97, I don't know. It's like 16. But anyway, 
I, I honestly, I, I'm looking at you in the face. I get to ask that a lot. <laughs> Probably because you talk about no, it. No, why would I talk about it? I don't it? know. People why would anybody oh, ask you, you that? You do a show with Gordon. Oh, man. Is he what's still the matter about wearing what, those socks what, with those sandals? What's the matter with socks and shower shoes? What's the matter with that? Nothing. You should just own it. You hide from it. <laughs> well, I you don't, don't, you don't I want don't, to talk I about I it. I don't wear it that way anymore. Who I mean, calls them shower shoes? Aren't they flip flops? Isn't that what no, they're called? No, no, they're they're you know you've seen those. I don't know how to describe them. Sliders. By the way, so I just got a I got a text on the old personal phone from my guy Scotty G, who says all the time. <laughs> what a he Scotty gets asked know. it too. Oh, no, it's BS. seriously it happens all the time. I, you guys are. It's, it's never about anything you've written or anything like that. It's always you're, you're so. Per, is he still wearing those socks with those sandals? No. <laughs> yes, you are. I don't know if it's a myth or not. I just know that it no, I, I don't deny to that this I, day. I don't deny that I did that, but it's. I mean, I'm sure. Why would people be fascinated with my feet? I don't know. They. It just happens, Gordon. And if you weren't embarrassed by it, why are you like hiding from it? Well, it's just interesting to you me that that's what it. you're saying. I that's what I'm known for. People ask me about that. <laughs> that's what I'm known for. That's my legacy. There it is. <laughs> it is. Scotty G. That's going to be your epitaph on your on your tombstone. Loved socks with his sandals. <laughs> Shower shoes, Jake. <laughs> no, why are you giving me that look? I'm just telling you that I get that a lot. I, I, so that obviously didn't come from no, nowhere. No, no. You talk about it now, and so then others pick up on that, and then they ask you about it further. It's because you talk about it. It's not because I talk about it. It's because it is part of your legacy. It's what it's what you're known for. People, people are fascinated with my feet. Really? I, is don't, that, is, maybe, I mean, I understand. I, I got big feet, you know. I just, I, but I don't know why any, that would capture anybody's imagination. In any day and age, I don't think many people were going on television with socks and sandals. <laughs> Shower shoes. <laughs> Please. All right. Well, anyway. Another segment successfully right. wasted. Um, that's, that's just... Uh, fallout from the Stuart Mandel interview. What jumped out to you? That he seemed to be indicating that there are positive indicators for Utah and for BYU, for that matter. I mean, he said BYU is a football program that's worthy of inclusion. And, uh, you know, he can't predict the, the climate, the political climate as far as uh, – but if if certain programs are going to be valued over longstanding partnerships with lesser programs, then that's good news for BYU. Because BYU's football program is better than a good percentage of teams already included in the P5. And what did he say? He said 30, 40, up to 50%. He did say that. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's pretty high praise. I just wonder how those previous relationships, like um, let's say it's not one of the extreme scenarios that he points out where, you know, the top tier forms their own thing, but it's, it's the leagues we're familiar with now. Would the Big 12, for example, give – who who do you want to give the boot out of the Big Twelve? Who's not pulling their weight? Iowa State. Would they ever just give them the yeah. heave ho and bring on know. BYU because BYU is more valuable from a football uh, you know standpoint, television, mm-hmm. the whole shebang. They're mm-hmm. more valuable than the Cyclones. And a lot of schools like that. 
So I don't I don't know whether how how far how much deterioration has there been between schools that are in conferences. I think USC is probably pretty ticked off right now, even though they haven't been great on the field. But they're pretty ticked off because they see more value in their program than a good portion of the league. It's kind of the way Utah and BYU were in the Mountain West. Not kind of. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly how they felt. Specifically BYU. And so what do they do? They move on. And I I, I don't know how strong the, the uh, partnership is in college football. Were but they like tube I, socks or ankle socks? I think they were more like ankle socks. Because yeah. I'm picturing like up the calf tube sock. How how would you know that? What do you mean? How would I know that? How I was wearing long pants. How would you know how long my socks were? You never wear long pants. I There's not a chance no, on TV, you were I'm not going to go Rick Majerus and have uh, everything uh, on display it in my could, shorts. I, usually, I wore jeans. It could be five below, and we could be doing the show outside. And you'd show up in That's shorts. That's not true. <laughs> that is not true. I don't think I ever went on TV in shorts. Stay tuned. Not Sportsport is next. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is DJ and PK. Zach Wilson. You're a confident kid, but it's not like everybody in their dog was after you. You still have that attitude that you got to prove yourself? I always wear the prove them wrong wristbands just because, you know, I've been doubted my whole life. People are always like, this kid's not that good. He can't make it at BYU. He's going to get to BYU. He's not going to play. So-and-so is going to get there. Oh, he's not going to be one of the best quarterbacks around. And so it's just that prove them wrong mentality. I mean, I have no problem coming in as the underdog. I have nothing to prove, and no one expects anything from me, so that's the best time to swoop in and steal the show and hopefully prove people wrong. DJ and PK mornings from 6 till 10. Presented by WCF Insurance. Reminding you to be careful out there. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Check this out. And now your not sports report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Now there are folks who like to brag about where they came from. But when they start that stuff, I let them be. But it makes me feel like I want to brag some to know that I come from the state of Tennessee. Let's give old Tennessee. Big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Time to get a winner for the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. Be caller 12 right now, 855-340-ZONE, and correctly identify the Chevy Strong Play of the Game announced by DJ and PK this morning at 8.50, and you'll win a Zone prize pack. It's the Chevy Strong Play of the Game brought to you by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. It is time for the Not Sports Report, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Shop online, LHMUsedCars.com. Gordo, where are we going today? We're going to three different places because uh, all of them involve an animal. Uh, and uh, so it's sort of an all-animal. and It's an animalistic Not Sports Report. Okay. The first one is... A man tried to break into uh, a Florida home, uh, and he rode up. Uh, security cameras saw him. He rode up on a horse, and the cameras picked him up riding the horse around this property. Okay. And he went into the back and tried to break in through a screen. Couldn't couldn't get through the porch, and so he went through a window, uh, and he went in to steal some stuff. 
problem is uh, the property owners picked them up on on a security camera, and so he called the police. And the police show up, and the man ran out of the house to jump on his horse to ride for the getaway, and the horse wandered off. <laughs> the horse was gone? The horse was gone. Whoops. What do you do when your horse doesn't stay there by you? Well, you put your hands in the air probably in this case. Another one uh, has to do with uh, a crocodile. Some guy found a crocodile and uh, tried to turn it into his pet. <laughs> not not a good thing to do. Probably not. And a, Did he get eaten or anything? No. Or is that the end of the but, story? No, no. It's just he, he has a clamp thing on the alligator's mouth, and, and but you can tell it's not a pet. It's a wild gator. Would you keep a wild gator? No. Another one has to do with a with a dog. A roommate was uh, being attacked by uh, his roommate by another individual because he wanted a loan, and uh, the, the the guy wouldn't give him money. Uh-huh. So he pulled out a machete, and the other roommate his his dog attacked the machete wielding man. Dogs are so cool. You know, why did this guy just have a machete? It beats me. It wasn't. He says, "Loan me five bucks, or you're getting the <laughs> you're getting the machete like a pitchfork." <laughs> we haven't heard from Pan Man hey, in a while. Buy me dinner because uh, my machete says so. <laughs> and the dog ran into harm's way, huh? Yeah. How about that? And then there's this story. Now, I, while we were doing the show, I got uh, a text. From uh, from uh, Jackie Kinahan, PK's lovely wife, mm-hmm. and I guess they they were at a certain golf course playing golf, and on the number twelve tee was a a, a seven foot or six foot long rattlesnake. Mm. What are we doing around here? That's why a lot of the courses around here, if I hit a ball, wayward ball, I ain't going in there. You are soft. I, I am not going What do you mean, what are we there. doing here? We built a golf course in that rattlesnake's house. <laughs> Playing through. We're his guest. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's frightening. I, like we were talking about earlier, there are some golf courses here where I feel comfortable going after a stray tee shot, but there are some courses, forget about it. That that four dollar Titleist ain't worth it. I ain't going in there. You're playing four dollar Titleist these I days. No, jeez. Yeah. Well, how much are Titleists? A know. ball? Four dollars a ball? Yeah. Oh, a, ti- a, a top line Titleist. Uh, you pay? What do you pay? You pay thirty six bucks for a dozen. I pay nine ninety nine for the bucket, and they all go in my bag. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say I I pocket the range balls. I even found a top golf ball in my you bag the other you day. You do not play with a range ball. That's that's absolutely taboo. What do you mean taboo? Is it a ball? Where is it? Well, some of the courses they have like poison oak and poison ivy, and then they got the snakes out there. You got all kinds of wildlife out there. There's some courses that have moose on them. I ain't going in there. Forget about it. Seeing a moose is cool, man. Um, and, and rattlesnakes are the best. They are. Yeah. Would you rather not have a snake that warned you when it was close? Aren't they? Uh, didn't I read? Yeah, at least it's fair. Didn't I read somewhere where there's a rattler that is uh, morphing into not having a rattle on it? I don't know. But I'm telling you, if, if there are going to be poisonous snakes out there, I'm certainly glad that that one has a rattle on it. And let me know where he is. 
Yeah, right? some don't, obviously. In Virginia, I went to fish a ball out of a pond and came uncomfortably Copperhead? close to a water moccasin. Water moccasin? Yeah. Ooh. I'd rather have a snake that lets me know where he is. <laughs> Bless gonna, you, Rattlers. He's going to blow his cover, and that's just fine. Have you ever run across a snake on a golf course? Uh, not on a golf course. I One time. But hiking, sure. Really? Well, so what would you do? I don't know. Steered clear? <laughs> what would you do? Probably do that. Just move on. Yeah, just move walk on around. My way. Yeah. I'm not an idiot. One time I lost some. I, I charged I, it, Gordon. I, what do you think? What do you think? I, what do you, <laughs> you hit it with a I stick? I went right at it, Gordon. <laughs> Said it's either you or me, Snake. That's why we were talking earlier. So you never go in there without a seven iron. You know? But one time I... I pulled a ball a little bit on a par three, landed in the tall grass off to the side of the green, and uh, I went in there looking for my ball, and I looked down, and crawling, uh, slithering between my feet was a, was about a four-foot snake, five-foot snake. That'll startle you, man. What kind of snake? I don't know. What am I, some sort of speed? What do you call a snake expert? I don't know. Hmm. A snakeist. <laughs> a snaker. All I'm saying is you got to be careful around here. You know, just don't go wandering off into the rough unarmed. Take your seven iron because you never know what you might run into. Well, it sounds to me like you just pull another $12 ball out of your bag and say, <laughs> the course can what, have that what's one. The, what's the most expensive golf ball you ever bought? I don't, I don't buy golf balls. What? What do you mean, what? Uh, what? How do you how do you play golf? Find them. <laughs> when you go out on expeditions looking no, for golf balls? No, you just happen to across some golf balls. I told you about the time. Austin didn't believe this. No, Let's boy. see if uh, if you do. I still I don't know what it is, but I still don't believe it. Yeah, not a chance. I was about to tee off on a golf course here in Utah, and there was a water hazard in front of the green. And right as I'm ready to hit my shot, the creature from the Black Lagoon stands up out of the pond. Uh, and scared the living daylights out of all of us. And it was a guy who, a frog With a man, snorkel on. A frog man who was in there f- uh, hunting balls. The creature from the Black Lagoon. Wait, I, it's a guy in a swimming suit and a snorkel no, mask. Right, oh, which he you, had the full scuba gear on. Which, by the way, you see all the time. All the time. How is this unique? <laughs> You've seen that all the time? The scuba at, divers at yes. golf courses? Well, while you're golf? golfing? Yes. This is this is a unique experience for you. It was to me. It, it happens all the time. <laughs> Never seen that. Did you ever? Know, did, did I ever you, tell you about you, the one day no, when the mailman came? Did you, did you hear that story about the? I think this is a, an urban myth, but uh, some people were walking along at a, a national park or something, and they they saw a frog man up in a tree, dead. And the story goes that the water tanker picked up water and sucked up the frogman into the into the belly of the the airplane and dropped dropped him with the water on the fire. You know, there's no such thing as a frogman, right? That's what they call him. Somebody's in scuba gear. Oh, <laughs> not an actual <laughs> like mutant. Like there was a, a frog, a real frogman. Yeah, <laughs> the creature from the Black Lagoon. Man, that's such a fake story, man. It's such a fake story. Well, I know it's urban. I think urban myth. I mean, but that's the story is told. So really, the, the the scuba. It was just the scuba guy. That's that's the story. Yeah, 
who got dropped on, on the fire and died in no, the No, I mean, I mean your story about how you <laughs> were story? playing golf. and uh, there There's was, a frogman that got up out of the water. You see that all the time? <laughs> Austin, did I ever tell you about the time I was golfing? I was on, I think it was the eighth tee, and the lawnmower... <laughs> Went alongside the fairway. Come on, a, a lawnmower. No, no. You, you, yes, you have a not, lawnmower. You have never Hope seen, you took a picture. You've never seen a scuba man fetching golf balls out of the water hazard At while you were golfing. At least a dozen times. Get out. Uh, two or three times myself. Yeah. While you're ready to tee off, and yes. he stands up right in front of you. I don't know about stands up right in front of you, but uh, can I see the the bozo in a scuba suit and a <laughs> stupid snorkel? Yeah. So when you go play golf, are you the guy that goes off into the into the great beyond and and comes out the other end of the hole with about ten golf balls? I don't know Let's about rephrase 10, that. I don't know about ten <laughs> golf balls, but I'm looking for my ball often enough that do I happen upon some? Oh yeah. Uh, well, I, I, all I'm saying is don't do that on certain courses. You'll end up getting either bit by a snake or. Or you'll get poison oak, poison ivy, or some other critter. Maybe to a less hard golfer. Or a frogman. <laughs> Austin, I, I ever tell I you about the time when I, I, I hit an approach shot, and it went right onto the green and came within two feet of this thing that I learned was called the pin. It, you, you, it was this flag know, sticking out of the hole. Because you've never hit a shot like that. Are you kidding me? Ask your boy PK. I hold hey, out yo. from the sand in Las Vegas, playing with him. There was sand. On you the guys golf have seen frogmen. Yes, pit in the, the middle. Pit so, in the middle of the here. course you're that was full of sand. You're addressing your golf ball, and you're ready to hit the ball, and you turn, and there's a scuba. There's a Lloyd freaking Bridges standing in the pond next to you. Yes, almost the exact same story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you have seen that. I can't believe multiple you think times. this is so unique. Yes, I've seen scuba divers in golf ponds multiple times. All right. I saw a bull shark. Frog man. I don't know, as long as we're lying. You just say diver. You have to say frog man. <laughs> Nobody calls them frog men. Yeah, they do. Who? In the Navy. <laughs> All right. This is Not like... some 63-year-old groundskeeper. <laughs> Frogman's like a respected station in the military. <laughs> All right. Our boy uh, our boy Calvin the Bull tweets in. He says, Jake, I once saw a water moccasin while golfing. Gordon, I once saw a creature from the Black Lagoon while golfing. Hashtag story topped. <laughs> it did. It looked like the creature from the That's Black Lagoon. That's a good story. I don't think I can top that. Stay tuned. <laughs> Jake sees it every day. More next. Every time he goes golfing, there's the frog man standing in the middle of the water hazard. 97.5 and 1280 of the zone. Three, two, one, one, one. The countdown is back on the Zone Sports Network. It's the fifth annual college football top 60 and 60. As we count you down to the start of the college football season. Listen every day at 1.30 as Hans and Scotty will announce another selection. I see you on Bob. Leading up to the start of the 2019 season. As voted on by the local media and you the fans. It's the top 60 and 60. Presented by Cypress Credit Union. The Southtown Auto Mall. And Master Electrical Service. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. In the Zone Sports Network.